Welcome to the Not So Darling Podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Phillips. This is a platform where myself and my guests share honest conversations while not taking life so seriously. Because let's face it, being perfect is lame. This is the story of Caitlin and Matt. Caitlin is a 32-year-old who moved to Louisville from Boston with her fiancé. They've been together for a total of nine years. Five years of that, Matt was able-bodied. You see, Matt was tragically paralyzed in a pickup basketball game in 2016, a week before he was set to propose. In 2018, Caitlin and Matt moved to Louisville so Matt could be a part of a clinical trial at UofL, funded by Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation. The study involves an epidural stimulation implant in the spine. Caitlin is a speech therapist, and Matt attends therapy every day. They were set to get married May of 2020, but they had to postpone last year due to the pandemic. So they are getting married in two weeks. I wanted to share their story in light of how people take life for granted and how your life can change in the blink of an eye. I really wanted to showcase their relationship because in this day and age, people are quickly to give up on themselves and in their marriage. In all reality, this couple has been through so much together, and they're not even married yet. So their relationship is truly inspirational. And speaking of being inspired, listening to Matt being so positive about his life and his future gives me hope that his foundation will change the world of spinal cord injuries. His foundation, MW Fund, focuses on the positive go check them out at mwfund.org. Hello, guys. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm well. Good. I am so glad that we finally got to connect. Yes, it's been a (laughs) bit of a phone tag situation, I suppose. Yeah. So tell my listeners um, a little bit about you and uh, your story. Okay. Um, so Where Matt, do we start? Yeah. Uh, Matt and I have now been together for almost 10 years. And we met down the Jersey Shore. He's from uh, North Shore, Massachusetts, and I'm from Old Can, uh, New Jersey. Uh, we met on the beach, and we basically haven't gone a day without talking since. Um, and then we dated for about, I moved to Boston 2012 to go to grad school and we didn't move in with each other right away. Um, we, we waited a bit. Um, we moved in with each other after like five years of dating, um, in the South end of Boston. Uh, one story short, essentially Matt was playing a pickup basketball game, um, in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And he was, dribbling towards the basket and got tripped and ended up going face headfirst into the wall, um, immediately paralyzing him from the shoulders down. So, uh, he was in the hospital for about two months 
and then intensive rehab, inpatient rehab for another three months. And all the while I um, was looking for a place for us to live because now we were going to have to adapt to like basically a whole new life. <laughs> um, so, and find a place that was accessible for him. And then, it, you know, from then on, it was kind of just adjusting to life going from completely independent of each other um, to almost like a dependency, I guess, if you will. I mean, I wasn't his primary caregiver, but I definitely had to do some caregiving. And so we lived together in Somerville, Massachusetts for about two years. Three years. Yeah, almost two years. Yeah. And then um, we had heard about this clinical trial that was happening here in Louisville uh, for spinal cord injury. Um, it's like an epidural stimulation implant that they hope will restore movement and function for people with spinal cord injuries. And so we move and you have to move there because the clinical trial uh, requires kind of a lot of you. And uh, so we moved here for uh, 2018, the end of 2018. Yep. Um, we lived in an apartment when we first got to know the area a bit. And then we actually just bought a house and we moved into a house um, now in Hearst format, Kentucky. And well, I don't know. <laughs> we were supposed to get married last year, but of course COVID put a damper on that. Um, so we postponed the wedding. And, and actually now we are getting married in about three weeks. No, yay, exciting. Yay. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, first off, yeah. So first off, I want to ask you guys, um, I am a big fan of the show Jersey Shore. And so when you said <laughs> Jersey Shore, I'm like, uh-oh, did they meet at Karma? I mean, <laughs> like that? I don't think it was that Jersey Shore. No, it was <laughs> that Jersey Shore. Oh, it was that, not no. the same area. Well, I grew up going to the Jersey Shore, and it wasn't the way it is now. So, uh, yeah, I actually tend to think that North Jersey and South Jersey should be two totally different states because it's just not, it's just a completely different from each other. Um, but we met in Belmar, which is, I mean, honestly, we, I've gone out and seen them filming the crazy people on that show. Um, but we tend to avoid those areas because they ended up being like a kind of a mayhem. No, we didn't meet at Carmel. We met on the beach. Um, we were both visiting um, our mutual friend. Yeah, a mutual friend that is my friends used to rent a house in Beltmar for the summer. So we were both down there for Memorial Day weekend, and that's how we met. Oh, okay. Yeah. So your love story is is definitely one of a kind, and so um, I know that originally um, your engagement changed um, due to Matt's accident. And then your wedding date had to change due to COVID. So tell my listeners and myself um, why you guys keep fighting to make all of this work. Well, I don't think we have much of a choice. <laughs> um, yeah, kind of just dealt the situation. Yeah. Um, and well, I mean, so yeah, he was supposed to propose like the week of or the week after his accident. 
obviously that got <laughs> postponed. And then he wanted to wait to do it and see if he could, you know, maybe do it with his hands or his arms. Um, but it, he hasn't gotten to that point yet. Um, and so it had been long enough. And he, when he proposed, he actually kind of tricked me and got me totally by surprise. Um, we were at one of our favorite parks in the South end of Boston. And, um, it was actually the weekend of Memorial day weekend. So it's kind of a thing for us. And he asked me to get his sunglasses out of his bag and the sly little slick man he is had a, a, a ring box in the, his, uh, sunglass case. Um, mm -hmm. and now we're getting married Memorial day weekend. So that's kind of, it means something to us, but I don't know. We kind of just like, I, you know, when it comes to, I was ready to marry him before all of this. And, you know, when you say I'm not, you know, I'm not, you know, so gung ho about marriage vows, but when you say those words, like for better, for worse and sickness and in health, like, do you really just mean it or do you, you know, just do it because that's what you think you should be doing. So if I said that, and I meant it and I felt it, then, you know, there would be no reason um, that we would have ended it or we would have just not been together because that just, it never really was a choice for us. And, you know, I think he would, I would hope he would do the same for me, but I, I mean, he didn't lose, you know, he lost mobility. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. It's a struggle every day um, just to watch somebody you love, you know, not being able to do things for themselves. It's kind of like a personal hell. Um, but it, he, he didn't lose any part of his personality. In fact, he almost has become gained more of his personality, more of a personality because, you know, he's had to build that and that's how he's gets through his day to day. And he's a, he's pretty much a freak of nature when it comes to that. I don't know how he does it because I can hardly keep myself together most of the time, but he does. And he's, I mean, it, I thought I was scared, you know, for a while thinking that maybe he was going to have to depend on me for the rest of his life. Um, but he's actually just really taking control of our life, which is amazing. Like he, he started his own foundation to help other people with spinal cord injury. He's, you know, he's just what he, and he's doing all of it from a, a head mouse. So like a sticker on his glasses that helps him, you know, um, maneuver the mouse on his computer. And that <laughs> he essentially planned like 90% of our wedding too. Wow. That's amazing. That is so, and he just, yeah, he's, I know. Yeah. It's almost like I don't deserve him. <laughs> no. Well, yeah. I, I mean, mean, from my end, um, you know, I, I think I was, luckily I was, uh, I would like to think I was a pretty hard worker before I got hurt. Um, so I think that's kind of helped with, um, just coping with the whole thing. Um, but you know, yeah, physically, um, it's definitely a struggle every day. Um, and you know, it's, it's been almost five years now, so we've had a lot of time to learn and adjust to things. And I've kind of learned, um, different ways to deal with things and, 
um, you know, what I, what my needs are and um, how we can kind of coexist in, in, in a new way of living together. Um, so, you know, that, that was obviously different, but you know, it's, I, I don't feel like, uh, you know, it's, it's like your question was how have we fought to make it work. Mm-hmm. And um, I can tell I, you how. <laughs> well, I, I mean, the one big thing, and this might sound like terrible, but well, not terrible, but we're, we go out of our way to make sure that I am not, I, I don't care for him unless I absolutely have to like provide care for him because I think we've done a really good job of, of, you know, kind of differentiating between a, like a mother and a son almost um, at, instead of a partnership. He doesn't want me to take care of him. And I mean, regardless, and if I'm being honest with when caregiving, no matter who it's, you know, if, no matter who it is, you're caring for you can form some sort of resentment you know when you're tired and you just want to go home from work and just relax and watch tv but then you also have to take care of a loved one it's it's a resentment that you don't want to admit out loud but for sure I mean it's 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 the reality of it um so we you know we might make it look like we have our stuff together and I'd like to think so we for the most part, but we're still very much learning. Um, yeah. yeah it's, and we're, go ahead. Yeah, I, I could I could speak from that. I mean, not in the, a different situation, but as a mom, or you know, my also my dad was sick, and so I had to take care of him. And sometimes, you know, you get exhausted, and you you don't mean to be um, hateful or short, you know, with someone, but you may just be a little, you know at, at wit's end, I guess you should say, um, or could say, yeah. um, mm-hmm. with, with that person. Uh, and it's not like you dislike them. It's just like, you right. really dislike the moment that you're, you're in right at that time. For sure. And I mean, it, the, the one thing that is kind of frustrating or, I mean, not kind of frustrating, but you know, we, we try to make our lives as normal quote unquote, as we possibly can. So we, we do a lot, like we travel a lot and we go out a lot and, you know, but it's something that you'll, you never can escape, you know? So it's like when you're in public, people think it's just okay to walk up right up to you and ask you why, why you're in a wheelchair. And when we're out, it just becomes everything about his disability. So we kind of just, you know, what, cause people don't know and they, it always comes from a good place but we have made it, I think we're good at making our relationship just based on who we are as people and look past the chair and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So Matt, tell us a little bit more about what a day in your life, you know, looks like. It's a lot. Um, (laughs) just to honestly get through the day every day. Um, I don't, it doesn't seem like that to me so much anymore, um, Mm -hmm. because I'm so used to it now. Um, but I mean, I just have to plan everything out so far in advance. You know, it's, it's everything from, you know, making sure that I have enough time to get up in the morning to making sure I have my caregivers coming 
at different times of the day in order to, um, so that I'm on time for everything that I have to do, making sure that I have somebody to, you know, feed me a meal at this time because I want to do something else at this time. And, oh, Kate's not going to be home at this time. So I have to make sure that somebody has, you know, has arranged to give me a ride here. Um, but basically, you know, it takes me two to three hours to get up in the morning, um, depending on what I have to do with, you know, all my activities of daily living, showering, um, um, getting dressed, all this. I do a lot of stretching. Um, what? Getting in and out of bed with the whole. Yep. Yep. In and out of bed. And then, <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's pretty normal that I'll probably, depending on my schedule, work on my computer for an hour or so before I go to uh, therapy. Um, I've been doing a variety of different things with the epidural stimulation research program here um, in Louisville. Um, so whether it's that or PT or OT, I usually spend anywhere from two to four hours at Fraser Rehab every day. Um, after that, I'll you know come home. Um, if I have to do errands or whatever it is, you know, I'd be obviously have somebody, um, I've been fortunate enough to have my own handicap accessible van. Um, so somebody, you know, I have somebody who drives me to and from every day. Um, I'll come back, you know, eat a snack, maybe do some more work, eat some dinner. Um, and then, you know, and then I have a, a different caregiver that'll come at night to, you know, get me ready for bed. So, you know, the major thing is, is I just, you know, I have to have everything, every part of every day pretty much planned out, which can, um, be, you know, pretty stressful at times. Um, so, you know, that's, that's a, that's a normal day for me. Yeah. I mean, I work with like the geriatric population as a speech therapist, and there are a lot of things, um, <clears throat> in the places where I work, like adaptive equipment that you would imagine an older person would have at home, but our house is kind of full of it as well. And you, you, we're just trying to make it, you know, work and make it easy for him to get around and just making life easier. Like as much as we just bought a new house and we have a beautiful bedroom that we did all this work on and, you know, but we have to have a foyer lift, you know, which is, it's essentially like a, a hammock, if you will, that goes under him to lift him out of bed onto his chair, you know, but it's just kind of something you just get used to. Like it, yeah. Okay. It, it doesn't look aesthetically pleasing, but if it makes it easier for him, I'm, I mean, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And so do you have um, someone there like 24 hours a day or is it just at certain times of the day? Uh, no, not 24 hours a day. Um, I, you know, I'm able to, with my kind of accessible technology, um, you know, I'm able to use my phone, um, with voice commands and also with a uh, Bluetooth connection to my chair. I'm able to use my computer with a head mouse. Um, I have a, uh, just recently installed a automatic, um, door opener. Um, that's compatible with, you know, Alexa and with my phone. 
So I'm able to open a door and get outside and open the garage if I need to, um, if I'm here on my own. Um, so, you know, I, I can't be by myself for, you know, two, three hours, different periods of the day. Um, but, you know, I'm restricted in that, you know, I, you know, there comes a point where I need somebody here because, you know, I had a spasm in my chair and I, you know, I can't fix the way that my leg is, or I ran out of water or something, or I need to go to the bathroom. So, you know, there's those things that limit me. You know, I, I always have to have somebody here uh, overnight with me. So if Caitlin has to go away on a trip or something, I need to arrange to have family or caregivers stay, stay over with me. Yeah. And, um... and that's just for, you know, safety reasons, obviously, because if I'm in bed and something were to happen, I, I can't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. And so your um, accident was just, it was um, something that happened. You were just playing basketball and you just on a league, you know, just for fun, I'm assuming. And yeah. Yeah. It was a men's league um, that I played in once or twice a week after work and uh, basically they it, it was it was played in a gym that was unfortunately created in a space that was too small um so there was no buffer zone underneath the, the baskets they were attached directly to the walls um yeah it, it was it was played on kind of like the old racquetball court that they converted into a basketball court so when I was driving to the basket, um, I was tripped by a defender and I just didn't have time to get my hands out, um, to stop myself before, you know, falling right into the wall. And, you know, unfortunately, if there had been another three feet of space under there, you know, I probably would have been fine because I would have hit the ground and, and slid and stopped. Um, but I went head first into the wall and that caused my head to, to go back and tear ligaments in my neck, which ultimately um, caused my uh, spinal cord to get, I guess. Nicked. Yeah, okay. yeah, it, it caused enough trauma in there for um, my spinal cord to, to get bent in just the wrong way. Yeah, he's at, he's at a very high cervical level injury. He's, he's paralyzed at the C3 level. Um, and a, a lot of times, you know, C1, even C2, sometimes they don't, you know, make it because it's such a high injury. So yeah, I had to be on a ventilator for like two to three months. Yeah. All of the functions like before I was able to recover from that. Like, yeah, yeah, is, is this something that immediately, like once you hit your head or, um, was that immediate? Like you could not yes. do it? Oh, yeah, okay. it was immediate. And I was conscious through the whole thing. You know, I didn't have any head or brain trauma. It, mm -hmm. It's just the tearing of the ligaments in my neck caused the damage to my spinal cord. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I was conscious through the whole thing, but, you know, immediately I couldn't move. Which it's crazy because I, you know, when you think of a spinal cord injury, you think of some traumatic accident. You know, I've, I've heard of people my dad being one, uh, 
break, like completely shattering their spine or, you know, like breaking things. All he did was tear ligaments. And that's how crazy the spinal cord injury is. Like it, it just presents so differently in everyone. And I was home making dinner and I got the call that he, some, I needed to go to the gym. I didn't know what happened. He, what, whoever called me on his team said, um, he's a conscious, but you need to get here now. And so I got in my car and I ran every red light in Boston and made it to Cambridge in like maybe five minutes. I beat the ambulance there and everyone was just kind of standing around, not sure what to do. And Matt was just laying on the ground and uh, he couldn't really breathe because the, the, the muscles that control his diaphragm, obviously he's paralyzed from the shoulders down. So, and those, that part is responsible for filling your lungs with air. So he couldn't breathe really that well. And his eyes were bloodshot and his legs were just swollen. Um, and I just, I, they were hot to the touch and it was, I just knew that it was really bad. And I think he knew, uh, because he told me to tell everybody that he loved them. Um, I think he didn't think he was going to make it. Yeah, I wasn't. Uh, yeah, I didn't know and at that then, point. Yeah, and then <clears throat> we were at the hospital. It was, it was almost like a movie, you know, sitting in the in the waiting room. And every time you see a doctor comes out, your stomach would just drop. Um, and then, you know, we were waiting to see what the MRI would say, the CAT scans, all that kind of stuff. And uh so what they had initially said was, we don't see anything on those. Um, we're hoping that this is just transient and that it's just a shock to the system. And that once the swelling goes down, um, he should be okay. Mm -hmm. And that's what they said at first. Um, and then that didn't happen. Um, and so, yeah, he couldn't, he had a tracheostomy tube to help him breathe initially and a G tube to be fed um, a, he had a, a bunch of tubes draining stuff from his lungs because he got really sick. Um, one time he had a surgery to fix his tracheostomy hole and he flatlined for two minutes. Um, mm -hmm. so like the nurses jumped on top and started doing CPR and thankfully resuscitated him. But yeah, there was a lot of times where it was really, really scary. Yeah. What, let me ask you this too. So when you were, after you arrived at the hospital and then you found out that you had this injury, um, and then they have to, um, put the, um, uh, the breathe, I was going to say the breathing machine, but it's the, um, my, my mind just went blank. I know what the it ventilator. is. Ventilator. There we go. The ventilator. Um, the ventilator, how do you uh, successfully in your situation come off of that? Because um, if you, you know, because if you lose mobility, um, does that, is that something you had to work um, like to get, to gain like that back? Yep. You know? They basically, it's like working out for breathing. Um, so they basically will start to train you. They'll slowly wean you off of it. 
um, in order to kind of retrain you to breathe on your own. So you, you spend more and more time each day without the help of the ventilator. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, eventually, um, if you're able to, you know, regain that lung strength and, and breathing strength and, you know, your oxygen levels are fine without it, then you can eventually um, wean off of it. So they also have basically like, retraining to do everything. Very heavily sedated in the beginning. So even if he, he, he fought it really hard, but because he was so sedated, they like he wouldn't have been able to breathe on his own. Um, but yeah, like you said, they slowly wean you off and you, you, um, gain more endurance, I guess, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about, so once you kind of started getting into recovery and, and, um, you know, finding out, uh, more information on this program that you're in, um, and you, um, I guess, is it, is it the Christopher Reeves program? Uh, well, they, uh, the Christopher Reeve Foundation um, is one of the primary funders for the research program here, yes. Oh, okay. Initially, he, initially the, the doctor, when he was in the hospital, we had a family meeting. I think it was before they even did any sort of fusion uh, surgery on his spine. Um, they basically said, we can guarantee that you will... Uh, breathe, talk, and eat on your own, eat, meaning have food, not feed himself, but everything else he's going to learn to do with his mouth or his head. And so, but he's like here, this program that he's in, he was implanted with a, a device that was originally made for pain, I think. And then Dr. Harkema, who runs the program kind of discovered that it could restore movement and function so he can go to therapy and um, during this trial and he'll stand for like two hours at a time on his own. Um, but well, let's, let's back up. <laughs> not, not quite. Um, so, well, let me start with, so I was just going to work out for the first two years after injury at a kind of, there's a rehab place in Boston that specializes in spinal cord injury and they work you out just like any other person would work out. You walk on a treadmill you do standing, you do, you know, mobility, stretching, um, all these different things, you know, electronic stimulation where they put stim pads on the outside of your skin and stimulate different muscles. So I was doing that for about two years and I uh, heard about this program through somebody that I met. Um, he was actually the first person to ever get implanted with the stimulator um, for, you know, spinal cord injury uh, recovery. And they've been working on this program down here for over 10 years now to try and get it kind of uh, um, FDA approved to be, um, you know, uh, a device that anybody can get um, for spinal cord injury recovery. Um, And I was luckily enough to get accepted into the program in the summer of 2018. And so, you know, that's why we moved down here in the fall of 2018. Um, But yes. They've been focusing on um, uh, the ability to improve blood pressure um, in people with spinal cord injury. A lot of people who have higher level injury are not able to regulate their blood pressure, and it's often very low. Um, And the stimulator 
can um, fix that issue. So they focused on that cardiovascular um, aspect. They focused on the ability to stand with the stimulator and then also the ability to voluntarily uh, move your lower extremities, which they've all, they've shown every, everybody who's gotten the implant so far um, has been able to do those things successfully. Um, so yes, with regarding the standing, I was um, able to stay standing for, you know, one to two hours a day with minimal, minimal assistance and no blood pressure issues. Um, mm. So all that has been very promising. Uh, yeah, that's incredible. Out of it. Yeah, it's really yes. incredible. <laughs> um, the, um, the, the goal of this study essentially is because it's still in uh, clinical trials is yeah. um, to get it FDA approved so that when somebody comes into the hospital, like Matt did with a spinal cord injury, they're not going to basically be told you're, you'll have no quality of life. They, they, they want to have it FDA approved. So when somebody comes in with that spinal cord injury, they can immediately implant, implant them with this device and it can be helped to restore like movement, the ability to sweat, um, sexual function, bowel function, bladder function, all that kind of stuff. So that when somebody comes into an emergency room, that their life hasn't completely ended, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm assuming that you, I don't know for sure, but uh, before you were in this program and I know you said you did therapy, like physical therapy and um, would, did yeah. you have any other surgeries or anything prior to this? Oh, no. Um, no. Once, well, not once I left, you know, the inpatient rehab hospital in Boston and, and you know, moved back into an apartment. No, I, I didn't have any any other um, surgeries um, prior to moving down here and getting the epidural implant. Okay. Um, there were surgeries in the hospital, but I, I don't think that's what you're asking, right? Right, right. I, I just didn't know if there was any kind of other surgeries that you had to have um, before you were um, on, you know, with the stimulator. My, no. uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm familiar with stimulators because my dad, who was in recovery like um he had a brain injury um and so he had the vagal nerve stimulator i think that's what it's called vagus or vagal nerve stimulator um, i mean i know it's not the same but um so i'm familiar with how that that all works and so yeah it's it's been used for pain back pain i guess in people for a while but now based on, you know because of this research they're um they're actually kind of He's starting to cater and, you know, make new devices that are actually specifically geared towards spinal cord injury recovery. Okay. Um, so uh, I guess, you know, a big question that I would have um, for you guys is like, you know, financially, and um, this is probably a big big deal because, you know, insurance and, and all of that. Um, I mean, in healthcare is a big, it's, you know, a big thing for this situation. So how, how do you guys deal with, with, you know, insurance and, and financially 
I guess, take care of your all selves now in this situation? Yeah. Um, it's definitely a big expense. Um, fortunately, um, you know, health insurance has covered a lot of everything. A lot of my medical, um, devices that I've needed, mainly the, my chair. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure, um, the wheelchair that I have, it was probably a $60,000 wheelchair, um, which is crazy. And fortunately, you know, my insurance that I had, um, at the time covered pretty much everything. Um, the chair, um, allows me to stand on my own. Um, it's a standing chair. So, I'm able to control everything from my phone to driving the chair to adjusting the seat position of the chair with a header aid device. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely crazy. Um, the cost of, you know, you know, all sorts of medical devices today that people need, but, um, we were fortunate enough to, we, we did a, a fundraiser um, online when I first got injured. And I mean, we were shocked at the outpouring of, of support from our network of friends and family and people that we didn't even know mm-hmm. um, that just donated to, to us. Um, and, you know, that has really helped us get through everything. Um, and, you know, we had a big fundraiser um also uh the year i guess it was yeah the year after i got out of the hospital yeah um and i you know i i had worked in uh, the sports marketing industry for about five years before i got injured so you know fortunately i made a lot of good contacts there as well um famous athletes yeah i was able to um uh, kind of leverage that network as well um, to, you know, help with the fundraising and everything. Um, also, you got like donated and, stuff from foundations, like your mattress. Yeah. Yeah. Some, we were able to get some medical equipment donated as well, but I mean, it's definitely a problem um, for a lot of people um, that, you know, have any sort of disability, but definitely, spinal cord injury. I mean, the cost of therapy, when your insurance stops covering, um, your regular PT and OT, you know, therapy outside of that, there's, you know, the facility that I was going to, um, up in Boston, um, to work out those facilities cost usually around a hundred dollars for people with spinal cord injury to get that therapy. Um, I mean, at least three to four times a week, in my opinion, because, you know, that's how you keep your body moving. That's how you stay mentally healthy, not just physically healthy. Um, that's how you get, you know, you know, cardiovascular workouts in, um, you know, when you can't work out yourself and move yourself, you need, you need that kind of facility, um, in order, you know, just to stay in, in somewhat of, you know, a good, healthy shape. Um, which also helps you mentally. So, and then that's kind of why I started the foundation, you know, after going there um, for a year or so, you know, I just, I realized, you know, how important it was and 
how expensive it was. And a lot of people, you know, can't afford it because they're, you know, they, they're not able to work after injury, just on social security income or whatever it may be. And so we started the foundation in order to give scholarships for people to attend facilities like that uh, if they can't afford it. They do. They um, they estimate that spinal cord injury over a lifetime. The cost of it can uh, go up to about five million dollars is what it um, is what is estimated to. That's that's the money that you will be spending to sustain life is five million dollars, essentially. Wow. Yeah. And, and I mean, it depends what state you live in and it depends what kind of insurance you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, insurance, you know, usually covers, um, you know, a, a good portion of your equipment. And then the other thing is, is getting caregivers, um, which is another challenge for people. Some, some states have programs where your insurance, um, covers caregiver hours to a certain extent and other states don't have um as good of programs so it kind of depends where you live um like if we had gotten married in massachusetts they would consider me a live-in caregiver and they wouldn't cover um as many hours as he would need they, they basically would essentially say that uh I would be responsible and I'm the caregiver so that they, they don't need to be responsible for paying um, the hours of help that he needs. Mm. So it, yeah, like, luckily, but, you know, kind of back to your question. I mean, we, you know, Kate works. Um, she's been, been working this whole time pretty much. And, you know, I, I manage the foundation and then, you know, luckily um, I had, you know, my, I had disability insurance before, before I got hurt. So, you know, that's definitely helped. Yeah. So tell, tell uh, my listeners about your foundation just a little more and what it's called and what its purpose. I know you did briefly say something about it, but. Right, right. Yeah. So it's called the MW fund and um, we started it, um, like I said, in order to support um, individuals with spinal cord injury and support their therapy um, at facilities um, that specialize in spinal cord injury rehab that are not covered by insurance. Um, so every year we give um, a certain amount of money out to different individuals to attend therapy, um, primarily at a facility called Journey Forward up in Massachusetts. Um, which is where I first started to go to therapy. And um, we have recently started to expand out to support other um, facilities that are, you know, just regular gyms that are kind of adapted, like adaptive gyms that um, have different equipment that's easier for um, individuals with spinal cord injury to use. And then last year, we also just started supporting the research program here in Louisville. So we're really trying to kind of expand our reach to not only, um, you know, directly support therapy, but also support, you know, spinal cord injury research that's, that's going on. The question I also have is how can people educate themselves more about, you know, spinal cord injury and, 
you know, approaching or talking with someone who may be um, in a chair, you know. That's something, you know, our foundation hasn't really focused on providing that support. Um, you know, we, we but um, I think just looking for support groups and different kind of spinal cord injury chapters and in different cities that, you know, can provide peer mentor uh, programs um, is, you know, there's definitely those resources out there. Yeah. So what is your hope for the future for yourself and for spinal cord injuries? Uh, Well, I mean, the easy answer is obviously I want there to be a cure. Um, You know, that's a long ways away, I think, but it's definitely closer than it was, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Um, There's definitely promising research research going on. Um, But another huge goal of mine is I want to prevent injuries from mine, like uh, injuries like mine from happening ever again in the future. And that's a future goal of the foundation is we're going to be hopefully working to um, develop a program that kind of identifies gyms like the one I was playing in that are unsafe and finding ways to make them safer, number one, and prevent, you know, new gyms from being built um, that don't have adequate uh, spacing around the court. Um, So that's a future goal of mine is to raise awareness about that and, um, you know, raise awareness about how many gyms there are everywhere across the country that are being played in areas being used for, for basketball that are, um, that don't have adequate, you know, adequate safety measures in place. So, and I think also, um, our goal, just as the Christopher and Dana Reeves foundation is that because the, the, the simulator that he's implanted with has shown such promising results that we're hoping within the next five years or so that it's going to become in place as the pacemaker, you know, when, when that, when that, um, it's just taken a very long time to get to where they are, but they're making advancements. I'm like more people are getting implanted all the time. And once they do have, I think 40 successful cases, then it'll become FDA approved. Mm. And that's just, that would be the goal. Yeah, that would be phenomenal. If you all could get mm-hmm. that get that going, that would be awesome. So I guess as we're coming, you know, to an end um, of the episode, and I would love to talk to you more. I know um, you guys have your time constraints and um, I have so many questions, but I guess, sure. you know, tell us, um, Matt, what... What are some things you don't take for granted now? Oh man. <laughs> well, I mean, there's, it's everything really. I mean, it's just the little day-to-day things um, that you don't realize um, that you don't think about um, when you're not in this situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, shoot, just a nice day when the sun's out and the weather's nice and you're able to just sit outside with friends and or family 
and just enjoy life. Um, also, like, honestly, just every day to day things like the ability to pick your nose. <laughs> I mean, just scratch your face. Yeah. Or um, hug. you can't, you know, you can't hug me. You can't. Yeah. Hold my hand. I mean, there's so many. I mean, the list could just go on and on. Um, but it does make you realize like they're just, they, yeah, they don't. It makes you realize what's really important. What matters. Yeah. And so um, that's yeah. helped us because we don't make our day around one tiny little thing that might've happened because we just know that what's, it's not really worth it. What, what people sometimes get caught up in their everyday grind is um, fine. And it's, you know, that's how they deal with certain things, but it's been helpful that we've recognized the, what we did take for granted. Um, and we know what matters to us. So it's something to really think about. It's the, the small things that people, even myself, get, you know, caught up in is real trivial compared to, you know, what really life is all about. And so I love that you have a great outlook on your life. And, um, you know, you all mentioned the caregiving and the intimacy, and I'm kind of backtracking back to what we were talking about before before, but, um, you guys have just a strong connection. I can tell. Um, and, um, I would love for you, Caitlin, to just talk a little bit more about those feelings and, um, you know, as you're going to yeah. get soon. <laughs> yeah. I so, mean, I'm an open book at this point. I think I, I, there's really no privacy in my life anymore. I'm, I'm pretty much a blunt person, but in, even more so now, um, you know, we hardly have any time by ourselves. There's always somebody in our house. Um, but you had to make, the, I had to make the decision whether or not I wanted to be doing caregiving or just get used to it. And the caregivers have become like family and it just is, makes it so much easier for me to not have, to do that on top of other things or think about or worry about whether or not he's, you know, his blood pressure is going up or he, I have to drain his catheter, you know, things like that. And, uh, well, I, you know, it just broke my heart the other day because he had said, uh, that, uh, he was like, I was just thinking I had, I had a dream that he was moving his arms and putting on a shirt. And he said, that's so weird that you said that because, I was just thinking, I almost forget what it feels like to, um, put a shirt on, like how I would do it. Do I put one arm in the other? And then like, it was just something like that. And the little things with him, like, you know, I would love to go up to him and like, you know, snuggle him and love, love up on him. But now if I touch him, you know, sometimes it causes him a spasm and he'll get, you know, his positioning in his chair is going to be completely off. Um, and so, you know, we've not been able to connect intimately that much, but we, I mean, we, I don't really know how deep you want to get into this, but (laughs) I mean, we kiss, we, we have, you know, had sexual experiences. It's we're in where, you know, we're after we get married, we're trying to get pregnant. So yeah, it's, it's just, it's a, uh, it's a bit of a, it's a, 
uh, it's a game of Tetris, if you will. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it ends up being not as romantic as you would like to think it would be. And it's not that often, but when it is, it's great. Like it, it just, we just connect like, I don't know, uh, mentally so much more with each other when we actually can sit there or be there with each other and appreciate just, you know, each other instead of making our whole day about spinal cord injury. Like the other, the other day we were outside and we had, um, we were listening to songs for our wedding and we kind of slow danced on the, on the deck. Like he, he put his chair, he can stand in his chair. It's almost like a, a transformer chair. It stands him up. And so I got to remember how tall he actually is, which was nice. Um, and put my arms around him and we just danced a little. It's just, you know, we're finding ways to make it romantic, but it's trial and error for sure. <laughs> it's it's so interesting. And I can just picture it. And it's, I've, I find it to be so um, inspiring and um, just as being um, a wife who has been married for 17 years. And so, you know, when you're married for a long time, you know, you go through all these things in your lifetime of marriage and you sometimes kind of lose certain things, um, you know, intimacy and, and connection. And, and I love the fact that it's more about, you know, mentally and not so much physically. And, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with like people being attracted to each other physically, but um, I mean, just, that deep, deep connection is so much more meaningful, I think, than, you know, physically. And I think it's so hard, unfortunately, to realize that when you're just, quote unquote, you know, normal and healthy, um, mm-hmm. you know, how I, I think that maybe is another goal of mine is to kind of inspire people to realize more what is important you know even it's so hard um when you know when you're just you know everything is is easy and normal to realize that um and unfortunately it can sometimes take a major life event to change your views um yeah. And I look at and other couples and it's, yeah, you, it's, you know, it's hard. Everybody I mean, goes it's through impossible that not to, stage, you know, yeah. every, everybody, everybody has a stage where they lose some sort of connection. doesn't matter who you're with. It's just human nature. If you're with somebody for so many years, event, you know, there are going to be times where you just kind of don't connect the same and then you have to find a way to reconnect Yeah, or you don't. Right. Right. It's, it's so right. It's so true. Um, <laughs> so tell my listeners where they can find you guys and your foundation. Yep. So um, again, the foundation is just the MW fund and our website is mwfund.org. And um, everything about what we do is on there. Um, you can donate um, on that website as well. Um, you know, I also have a Facebook page, um, uh, MW fund Facebook page. 
And um, also my my Instagram um, is just mweatherby. And um, I have, you know, periodically stuff on there about the foundation. Um, and Kate's always posting as well. What's your Instagram? K Kylie 14. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, people can follow us on there. Check it out. And, um, you know, I just recently um, brought on somebody, um, an executive director to kind of run the foundation for me. And um, she's doing a great job of expanding and our reach and everything. So, you know, I'm definitely trying to grow that and, you know, raise more money and, and, and do help more people with it. So excited about that. Well, good. Thank you guys both so much um, for coming on and sharing your story um, with my listeners and myself. You're welcome. Thank you for having us. Yeah. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe. And it would be so darling if you rate and review my podcast. And then head over to notsodarling.com or follow me on Instagram at notsodarlingtanya. Thanks for listening.